We are in part one of a three-part message series called Enemy at the Gate. Incredibly important, I believe, in our, on our spiritual journey is to learn how to do spiritual battle. And I want to say this up front. Some people have said, why do we talk about the devil? What I want you to understand is this is not a devil-glorifying teaching whatsoever. What we want to do is we want to better understand our enemy so that we can better fight against the forces of darkness. I'll start with something that I think is kind of interesting. If you had asked me what the greatest deception of the devil is, what the greatest trick that he has convinced so many people of, I would say the greatest trick the devil ever pulled off is convincing so many people that he does not exist. We may believe in God, but certainly there's no forces of darkness. I hope you understand that the devil is real and the devil is not some little guy in a red suit with a tail and a pitchfork and horns. You see, there is a spiritual battle on every, going on every single day between the forces of good and the forces of evil. See, our God is the God of light. The devil is the guardian of darkness. Our God is truth. The devil is the father of lies. Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly. The devil came to bring death, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Scripture actually teaches us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, you're not in a battle with your mother-in-law. It may seem like that, but it's not the case. You're not just in a battle against the boss that drives you crazy. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of this dark world. That's why we're going to dive in for three weeks and learn how to fight against the devil. Let me give you a little backstory about the forces of darkness, and that'll help set us up for today. A lot of people don't realize it, but before the foundation of the world, God created angels. He created angels such as Gabriel, the messenger, who brought the message to Mary that she would give birth to a boy named Jesus, the archangel Michael, the warrior angel. And he also created Lucifer. Lucifer was an angel of worship, beautiful, full of wisdom and glory. The problem is Lucifer actually became very jealous of God. God was getting the glory and Lucifer wanted the glory. And so he fell into pride. He essentially pitted himself against God because God says, I will not share my glory with anyone else. When Lucifer wanted the attention, God cast him down from heaven. And Lucifer took one third of the angels with him. Those would be the demons that we do battle with today. So why does this matter to you? Well, what you need to understand is because you are created in the image of God, And because the devil hates God, the devil will continually come after you. It's not if he attacks, it's that he's already attacking you right now. And this message series is designed to help arm you, to equip you when the enemy is at the gates of your life. I believe with all my heart that the devil will try to keep you from hearing this. You watch, next week there'll be something that comes up to distract you. I believe even more so that the evil one will try to keep us from living this out. And that's why it's so important. I believe that we don't just need to hear God's word, but we need to live it out. This is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Enemy at the gates. I got this idea of 
this three weeks of teaching from a book called The Strategy of Satan. If you want to read it more, it's a book by Dr. Warren Wearsby. And let me just tell you about Warren Wearsby. He's 88 years old, one of the best writers and teachers of the Bible ever. If you're a brand new believer, he's easy enough to understand. And if you've been studying the Bible for decades, he's deep enough to push you. Anything by Warren Wearsby is something I'd recommend. And I want to give him credit for the work in his book that inspired this message series. But let me show you where we're going to go in the next three weeks. Today, we're going to talk about the quality of the evil one. We're going to call him the deceiver. The Bible says he's a deceiver. Satan is the deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. He lies to us and tries to take us away from God's truth. And I think next week is going to be one of my favorite in these three-part message series. We're going to talk about Satan, the accuser. What does he do? He attacks your heart with accusations. You're not, you'll never be, you're not good enough for God. And he accuses you and on and on. And the third week, I'm going to teach on a text that the vast majority of people have probably never heard a message of in church before. We're going to talk about the destroyer. Satan is the destroyer who attacks your will with pride. He's the deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. The accuser who attacks your heart with accusations. And the destroyer who attacks your will with pride. Let's start with the deceiver. Satan is the deceiver. This is what Jesus said about Satan in John chapter 8, verse 44. He said, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Anytime he speaks, he is lying. Someone said, how do you know that the devil is lying? Well, you know he's lying if his lips are moving. He's always lying. He can't speak the truth. This was his first strategy, attacking Eve in the Garden of Eden. And we're going to see that he actually attacked the authority of God's word with lies. This is crazy interesting to me when you think about it. There are so many different ways that the serpent, now who was the serpent? It's the physical form of Lucifer, the evil one. The serpent came and deceived Eve. So how did he do it? He did it by attacking the very word of God. Think about it. There are so many different ways that the serpent could have tried to take Eve away from God. He could have preyed on her insecurity. He could have said to her, hey, Adam really doesn't love you. He's sick of hearing about your feelings all the time. He wants to go into his man cave, literally. Stay there forever. He liked it better when it was just him and the animals. He wants his, his rib back. You know, there's so many different ways the serpent could have tried to create questions inside of Eve. But what did the serpent do? The serpent actually attacked God's word. And he did it two different ways. If you're taking notes this morning. The first thing the deceiver did is the deceiver questioned God's word. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. The serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Did God really say? Notice the deceiver didn't deny that God had spoken. Instead, he questioned what God has spoken. And this is what the deceiver does today. He'll try to question. He'll plant seeds of doubt. Do you really believe the Bible is a book from God? Surely you're smarter than that. I mean, you're not naive enough to think that there was a creator, that there spoke and created everything. Surely you're intellectual enough to believe that everything went boom and everything worked together by some explosion. You wouldn't be that naive, would you? Hey, God didn't really mean that. Not for you, not for now. I mean, maybe a hundred years ago, hundreds of years ago, but 
this is 2019. This year, we're evolved past that. Besides, hey, don't worry about it. God loves you so much. If he really loved you, he'd let you do whatever you want. God didn't tell you not to do it. He didn't mean that that's not for you. And he questions God's word. And he gets you to question God's word. And evidently, Eve apparently started to question God's word. And let me show you why I believe this is true. Because God told her that she might eat freely. God said, you may eat freely from all of these trees. Eat that, eat that. Just not this one. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eat freely from everything else, just not from that one. I love you. You're blessed. There's freedom. Just not that one. But then when Eve got into a conversation with the devil, she left out one key word. See if you can notice what she left out. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But what word did she leave out? She left out the word freely. Implying that maybe God was holding back on her. You know, sometimes we get in a rut and we believe this mess. We believe that that which God said no to must be the very thing that I want that will bring me fulfillment and satisfaction. Don't we? So what happened? The moment Eve started to question the goodness of God, that was when it was easier to disobey the will of God. In fact, you can write that down. When you start to question the goodness of God, it's easier to disobey the will of God. The moment Satan started to question God's word, she started to wonder, is God really good? The deceiver questioned God's word. The second thing the deceiver did is he twisted God's word. He said, we can eat from any tree except that one or we're going to die. When the serpent says in verses 4 and 5, you surely won't die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be like God. Do you know that's exactly what Lucifer wanted? He wanted to be just like God. What's interesting is the way that he twists the word. Eve was already created in the image of God. She was already a reflection of the heart of God. And yet the serpent says, twist. Twist, twist. Did God really say you could be like God? This is exactly what the evil one does today. Over and over and over again, he twists God's word. Oh, God is love. That's true. Yeah. But then he twists it. God is love. He'll understand. Do whatever you want. Besides, scripture says, thou shalt not judge. Nobody can judge you for what you're doing. It's your life. You can do whatever you want with your life. He'll forgive you anyway. He's going to forgive because God wants you to be happy. So do whatever makes you happy. So he attacks the authority of God's word. Here's what I hope some of you will understand. You are under attack. You are under attack. The evil one is coming after your family, after your finances, perhaps coming after you physically, coming after your children. You're under attack. Let me say this. If someone bakes into my house and comes after my family, what do you think I'm going to do? Let me tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to sit in my bedroom and go, oh, I hope they don't go down the hallways to where my kids are and hurt them. So what am I going to do if somebody steps into my home? In that moment, I'm going to transform into some kind of combination of Rambo, Jackie Chan, Jason Bourne, and Popeye the Sailor Man. I will fight to the finish. And I'm not kidding, man. I will turn a lamp into a martial arts weapon. I may be a guy and a boxer, but I can be fierce like you've never seen before. 
You better bring 10 dudes with automatic weapons because I will fight to the death and you can hurt me. You can take me out. You can kill me, but I will be your worst horror movie. I'm going to come back from the dead, fight you. You will not touch my family. Every now and then you need to recognize you're under attack. Your family's under attack. Devil, not today, not my house, not my family, not my fence, not my health. No, you have no place here. I fight back in the name of Jesus. I fight back in the name that is above every name, the name at which every demon must flee. I fight in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to sit back tolerating this, hoping for the best, just wishing that things are going to get better. Not today, not my house, not this time, not this Jesus follower. I know who I am in Christ. I know what I have in Christ. I have the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in me. You're in a battle, church. Recognize it. The good news is that we battle not against flesh and blood. We also don't use earthly weapons. We have spiritual weapons. Paul talked about this in Ephesians chapter 6. He said, you've got the armor of God. You've got the helmet of salvation. You've got the breastplate of righteousness. You've got the shield of faith to quench the fiery arrows of the evil one. You've got the belt of truth. You've got the shoes prepared with the gospel the readiness of peace, and you have one offensive weapon, just one. Do you know what that weapon is? It is called the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You have the sword of the Spirit, the very Word of God. Your only offensive weapon is the Word of God. What I hope you'll understand is the Bible is not just some little book to teach you how to be nice and kind. The Word of God is your greatest offensive weapon, wielded against the forces of darkness in every spiritual battle that you fight. It is the sword of the Spirit, the very Word of God. There are two different uh, types of swords that were actually used in battle during the time that this was written. It was a really big sword that you would be able to swing with both hands. After David killed Goliath, he took this big sword and he took Goliath's head off. But there was another type of sword that was shorter, that was sharp on both edges. It was known as the gladius. It was used in hand-to-hand combat. See, when your enemy got close, you draw out the gladius, which I have to say now that we're talking about this kind of reminds me of the movie, The Gladiator, which makes me think about um, what's his name. And he responds, I am Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant of the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered life, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. And all the men in the church said, amen. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that for the word of God is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's how we do battle against the evil one. That's how we fight back with the spoken word of God, the sword of the spirit. That's how Jesus did battle against Satan in the wilderness after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. After 40 days and 40 nights of Jesus Communing with his father, he's seeking God and denying himself physical nutrition. He, he's weak. And let me tell you, man, if I, I skip lunch, I get a little bit grumpy and weak. But 40 days and 40 nights, that's probably his most vulnerable physical point. So what does the devil do? He attacks when Jesus is weak. Some of you may say, well, I haven't been attacked in a long time. Well, maybe it's because you're not doing anything for Christ. Because listen, when you're doing something... 
the devil attacks. When you're bold for your faith, the devil attacks. When you're generous with what you have, the devil attacks. When you're glorifying God with worship, the devil attacks. When you don't just go to church, but you are the church, the devil attacks. When you're using your gifts to serve and make a difference somewhere, the devil attacks. Jesus was glorifying God, and the devil came to him in an attack. And he actually comes in waves. I know this from experience. He attacks in waves. Wave one, wave two, and wave three in this particular portion. Wave number one, the devil says, hey, Jesus, you look hungry. And God loves you. He's a miraculous God. Why don't you? Turn these stones into some biscuits and gravy. Maybe if it was me, he'd say, turn them into Krispy Kreme donuts. He says, hey, turn these stones into bread. And what did Jesus do? Jesus drew out his sword. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Attack wave number two then comes. The demons and Satan say, Jesus, why don't you throw yourself off this cliff? Because scripture says, and watch them twist it, the angels will give charge over you and they will come and they'll rescue you and Jesus again draws his sword and he says it is written do not put the Lord your God to the test and the devil comes at him again and how about this Jesus look over all of this the kingdoms of the world I'll give them to you if only you'll bow down and worship me you can have all of it it can be all about you Jesus says get away from me devil and draws the living word the word of God and says it is written worship the Lord your God and him alone And the devil fled and the angels of God came and ministered to Jesus. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. Psalm 119 says this. David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, your word is a part of me. It dwells within me. So how do you get the word of God in your heart? You study it daily. You enjoy the spiritual nourishment of the word of God. And if I can be really honest, the problem for so many of you is you don't even know where your sword is. You don't even know where it is. I got it somewhere in here. It's in my bedroom. It's in a drawer. Maybe it's on the bookshelf. It's got cobwebs all over it. I got it somewhere. Or now it's actually on your mobile device, which is actually really cool. And if it's not on your mobile device, let me tell you, it should be. But some of you, you know exactly where Instagram is, Facebook is, your news app, Snapchat, the Bible app. Where is it? It's in a folder somewhere. You don't even know where your sword is. You don't even know where your offensive weapon is. Listen, before the word can come out of your mouth, it's got to be hidden in your heart. It's got to be hidden in your heart. What do we do? The first day of the week, we worship God. The first of the year, we fast to seek God. The first of every financial increase, we worship God with a tithe. And the first of the day, every day, we seek God first and then everything else. We open up our hearts to God in prayer and we open the word up and we let it spiritually nourish us. What does the word do? The word convicts us when we stray. The word directs us into God's will. The word comforts us when we're hurting. The word encourages us to become who we are in Christ. The word equips us to do the perfect will of God. The word reminds us it's not about us. It's about him. It's living bread to us. It's spiritual nourishment. We feed on God's word. It strengthens us. It washes over us. It changes us to make us who God wants us to be. Church, I beg you, risen king, I beg you, plead with you. Make this a part of your daily life. Every single morning before you do anything, click on the Bible app. Let it speak to you. 
The word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is living, it is powerful, it is active, it is alive. So what do we do? When we're in battle, we got to fight back with the word. Whenever you feel a little bit depressed, what do you do? You quote the word of God. Why so downcast, oh my soul? I put my hope in the living God. When your family is under attack, what do you say? No weapon formed against us will prosper. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. When you think you can't make it another day, you quote scripture, I will not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time I will reap a harvest. If I do not give up, I can do all things through Christ who dwells in me. When the diagnosis from the doctor isn't good, you say, I believe that all things are possible with my God. I believe that by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. When you're not sure what you're going to do, you say, I trust in the Lord with all my heart. I lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways, I acknowledge him and he alone will make my paths straight. You feel ashamed after something that you did. You say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I confess my sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. When your marriage is under attack, you draw the sword. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love always hope. Love always trusts. Love always protects. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is the love of my Savior Jesus, which dwells within me. Not today, devil, needs to be our posture. Not today. You are not going to rob what God has blessed me with. Not today. See, if you think for a moment that the devil is some cute little guy in a Halloween costume, then you probably also think that Jesus is a tender little hippie carrying a staff with a lamb around his shoulders. While he is love, he's also righteous. While he is full of grace, he also comes back in judgment. And when he returns, according to Revelation chapter 1, John says this, His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. And he held seven stars in his right hand. Seven different churches. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. A sharp two-edged sword comes from his mouth. What is he doing? He's speaking the word. He's literally doing spiritual battle and not just doing spiritual battle, but he's doing spiritual battle on behalf of the church. He's literally holding the church. These seven stars are symbols of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. With one hand, he's holding the seven churches and with the other, he is literally fighting on our behalf against the works of Satan, against the evil one. He was speaking the word just like his father did in the beginning. God spoke, created the world. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word is Jesus. See, while the devil may be a liar, Jesus is the truth. And every time that we make a decision to sin against God, it's because we believe one of the devil's lies. But when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So whenever the devil tries to lie, say, get behind me. I know God's word for it is written. 
This is who I am in Christ. This is what I have in Christ. You're defeated. You see, here's the problem, Christians. Here's the problem, seekers. We're not fighting for victory when we have Jesus against the devil. We're already fighting from a place of victory. He is a defeated enemy. Greater is the one who dwells within us than he who dwells in the world. Would you join me for a moment in prayer? Father, I pray that you would empower your church. God, to be full of your words, speaking truth, doing battle against the forces of darkness, that we may glorify you in all you do. And as you're praying today, those of you who would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I want to become even more passionately engaged in God's word, would you lift your hand up right now? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Father, we seek you first. Worship you the first of our week. We honor you with the fast in the first of the year. And we honor you with the first of any financial increase as our gift of worship. We honor you first in every day, seeking you through your word. Strengthen us. God, for those who are in a battle right now, I pray that your living word dwelling within them would give them the faith to fight back. Believing, Lord, that all things are possible with you. Thank you that the word became flesh, that he dwells with us, and that we can rely on you, King Jesus. Amen.